Hey there, welcome to the show. I'm your host, Todd C. Slater, The Simple Investor, and this time is the time for our real estate talk triangle. Hey, by the way, if you don't know, we do this every single month, and my two panelists that are going to be joining me here in studio this week, as usual, I've got Tim Sirianos joining me. Tim is the broker owner of Remax Ultimate. Also, he's a former president of the Toronto Real Estate Board, as well as a former director at the Canadian Real Estate Association. And one name I'm sure you know by now, Dave Butler. That's right. Dave Butler is a mortgage specialist broker, uh, definitely my go-to guy. And so we're going to have a lot of fun today. We've got a lot to talk about. Wow, what a week in the world of real estate, but most importantly, coming up this next weekend, that's right, November the 4th. Have you marked it on your calendar? Well, I know a bunch of people did. I have our simple seminar coming up at uh, 11 a.m. on Saturday. And you know what's making this one so exciting, of course, is we're doing the great down payment giveaway. That's right, somebody, actually not just one person, two people are gonna end up winning a down payment for a one-bedroom unit the down payment worth $56,000. That's right. In one of our developments, we're really excited about this. Now, we were originally saying, hey, listen, do you want to join us in our seminar room? Well, you know what? We are to the rafters. We got full capacity, but that doesn't mean you don't have a chance to win our on our webinar. That's right. So make sure you tune in. It's going to be really simple. Do it from the comfort of your own home and you could have a chance of winning a down payment for your very own investment property. We had a lot to do uh, during the seminar. I got news for you. We got some great stuff, new release, everything going on. So it's going to be a wonderful day. So go to thesimpleinvestor.com and make sure that you are taking part of this incredible event. But as I mentioned, you know, one of the things that I try to do as much as possible is educate everybody about what's going on in the world of real estate. And so instead of me always just being the talking head, we put together the Real Estate Talk Triangle years ago and my two panelists that join me every single month, I got to tell you, I can't do it without them. They are definitely just, the, the, I, I, I consider them the encyclopedia and Thoris, you know, the sources and a dictionary of all real estate. Uh, I've got Tim Sirianos and Dave Butler. Guys, welcome in. Great to be back. Awesome. It's always good to be, be around you guys, man. This is, the, this is actually the funnest part of my month, usually. Yeah. So. And we talk before the show and after the show. I mean, we could be here for like several hours sometimes. Yeah, you know, I just don't know if they're going to give us enough time here. At, uh, maybe maybe we should start our own simple podcast somewhere, and then that way we can there go, go. for <laughs> Sprinkle that in there? Yeah, sure. why not? So, all right, guys. So, listen, let's, let's, we'll, we'll start off with, as Tim, you said, you know, breaking news. Well, it's going to break something. Not sure what the news is, though. Uh, let's talk about interest rates. Bank of Canada. Um, Tim, I'll start off with you. Typical real estate reaction in the world of real estate. Well, it's been an interesting month so far. Um, there's been a lot of anticipation of what's going to happen. It's been one of the biggest conversation pieces. Has the bank, you know, stopped its upward, you know, trajectory of interest rates? And what's going to be next, right? What's going to take to actually have them stop? Uh, because there's definitely a big impact on the market generally, you know, happening in the greater Toronto area. Like this past month, I could say that, you know, we've seen about a month worth of inventory applied to the marketplace. So we're, we used to be at say 2.5 months of inventory. Now we're at 3.5, 3.7 months. And for those of us that want to get kind of reminded what that is, is that if a single home did not go on the market in that time period, there'd be nothing for sale. But what's been really happening too at the same time is yes, um, we're having one of the biggest you know, Western Mexican standoffs going on right now this past month. 
sellers are staring at buyers buyers are circling the wagons they're saying you know do i smell blood do i see blood do i taste blood sellers are saying not here i'm sorry move on to something else right <laughs> and the good properties renovated uh homes that uh um, you know, are, are, are priced in the current environment are selling. Um, we are, believe it or not, some homes after a week getting a couple of offers on them at the same time. Um, but tr tr overall though, just to, to be real about the marketplace, it is that kind of, uh, stare down going on between buyer and seller and sales are completely, you know, been suppressed because of that. So, um, Tim, when we talk about interest rates, of course, that's a big driver. Do you think the fact that if we stay in neutral for a little while longer, people will then kind of absorb the feeling saying, okay, you know what? It's something we're going to work with. These are the numbers we're looking at. You know, do you, do you think, cause there, there's a bunch of buyers out there. They want to buy like there's pent up demand. I mean, we hear it, we know it, you know, people sitting on the fence forever. It just doesn't happen. Like we, we, we saw that different times over the last decade where, you know, people sit on the fence and all of a sudden, you know, the market would pop, you know, we all of a sudden have this ricochet effect. It's, you know what, it's, it's a conversation that I just had on my way to studio. Um, I, I was saying that this market has demonstrated over the past two years, uh, post, you know, lockdowns, how resilient it really is. And when you go from 121,000 sales to, you know, 90 to 85, and now we're probably targeting somewhere around 70, right? Instead of 75 last year, 78, um, we're going to be around 70. If, if we can't look at that as somebody pushing down on a spring, um, then I, I think we're, we're, we're really making a big mistake and not realizing that it's this market has shown in the past several years, it doesn't take much for buyers, the consumer to feel that, okay, time now. Right. And my biggest concern that I've been saying for quite some time is this, yes, we are in a tough market. Like we are economically, there are people who are impacted by interest rates and yes, we are in an environment where, you know, sales have been pushed down. Uh, and yes, there's a lot of noise out there. Last month, we talked about the noise levels, you know, of that's going on, causing a lot of anxiety. But it's not going to be take much before something takes that little lever off the spring and then everybody kind of comes back at once. And if you can't afford to buy and if you, you should be constantly looking right now, right? Because I believe it's going to be a big mistake if you're trying to time the market because you're going to mistime it badly. Yeah, Dave. And, you know, you and I talked about this the other week uh, about timing markets and, you know, I remember, in, and if we had the recording, you'd hear Dave said um, <laughs> that he figured that, you know, he was, I, I think you were at 95% sure Bank of Canada wasn't <laughs> going to do anything. I know your number was right up at the top. Yeah. Well, I mean, these days I feel like giving a hundred percent prediction on what the bank handle will do is probably not the best uh, <laughs> prognostication uh, uh, theory, but yeah, no, look, I, you know, it's funny. I, I, I don't venture much on social media, but I remember you know, I was reading someone's post who is in the, you know, real estate and mortgage field and they had made some comment about like how like, well, even if it's a 1% drop in rates next year, that's not going to do anything. The rates are still statistically average or higher at a start. And I said, you know, that that's, you can't just look at numbers. Sentiment is huge, right? I mean, we, we are in the lowest, you know, we're probably entering, I would say the lowest 
sentiment, you know, that we've had since probably with COVID when people were locked down. And I'm just talking about in terms of real estate, right? We were all locked down. No one was doing anything. Realtors were, you know, didn't know what they were going to do in March and April and May of 2020, right? So um, sentiment was down. As soon as you, you know, got that change, what happened? Now, certainly interest rates being super low at the time is going to be massive, you know, uh, a match to the to the candle, right? But um, sentiment, I mean, I, I truly do believe if you had a 1% drop in rates, I think it's not just the 1%. It's that Canadians would feel, A, they don't have to wake up the next day and find out the bank can has gone to raise by a half percent. They can kind of feel comfortable knowing we are in a new, a new kind of rate downtrend. And that's really, I think, what you need. And more importantly, I mean, right now I have buyers come to me and it is such a different type of client that I'm working with these days. You everyone, know, a lot of people that know my career know I, I focused on working with real estate investors. That's been my niche. Real estate investors right now are sophisticated. They're sitting on the sidelines if they don't feel comfortable. They are not having to make any moves. We are dealing with more first-time home buyers, and it's weird. It's not your first-time home buyer in your 20s. This last one I just got approved yesterday is a first-time home buyer turning 39 years old, mm -hmm. right? Feeling like, hey, I think, and when we talked, he kind of said, I feel like the bank of Canada is getting near the end. I have lots of friends that are in really bad positions right now financially. I feel like even though my affordability level isn't great for this mortgage, I feel like in time, I will be able to get myself a better rate and this will become more affordable for me and I'm not going to miss the boat because he did say one thing and this is just a normal first-time buyer, guys. He says to me, he goes, I have a feeling once the Bank of Canada assures Canadians they're done with interest rate hikes, there's going to be a rush to buy homes. Yeah, mic drop on that one, right? That's exactly what we're talking about. This is, if people start to feel that sense of normalcy, stability, okay, we've, we hit the trough, this is it, you know, then you, you know, you're going to be caught in a place where you're going to start competing again, right? And the reality is, uh, gentlemen, we've, we've already had, you know, projects and condos shelved, right? Yeah. We've already had construction, you know, construction, you know, get, get uh, you know, pulled off, right? Uh, we already had some people who, who are going to rent out their premises, their new condo that they're purchasing, you know, going to market with it instead. You know, not that much, but it's happening, right? So we're just going to be caught in the same position we were several years ago where it's going to come out, you know, and again, it's not going to be next month. You know, I, I'm the first one to say that we're looking at spring of 2024, but there's going to be a steady, you know, uh, you know, sense of that sentiment improving. Yep. And what we don't want is something sudden. And if that sudden thing happens, then it's going to start, you know, rushing the other way. Yeah. And the other thing I think everybody has to realize is that Let's say hypothetically, you know, we are on the bottom right now. Now you have to start calculating what 3% increase, 4% increase, 5% increase looks like, depending on your price point. So, you know, there are these people that are kind of stalling out saying, I'm going to wait for the interest rates to change. Yeah, but what happens if it's a $50,000 swing in the price you're paying? So let's just hypothetically say that, you know, let's say you take a one-year, Dave, we talk about all the time, one-year mortgage. And let's say your, 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 your premiums are a little bit higher. Let's say even if it's a thousand dollars, you know, a month for the next year until you can get something a little bit more attractive, guess what? You could be saving technically. If you wait for interest rates to come down, you could be costing yourself a hundred thousand dollars more in the big scheme of things. And these are the kind of things that folks, when you tune into the show here, we're going to unfold and we've got a lot more for this hour. So, um, 
Tim Sirianos is in the studio with me. So is Dave Butler. We've got so much more to talk about today as well. Hey, if you're not following me on Instagram, make sure you do it. The Simple Investor One. You're going to hear about our latest stuff that's going on in the world of real estate. So much to unpack every single week. And uh, you know what? Hopefully you can tune in every single Sunday here at noon with us. And we'll be right back after this. And welcome back. If you're just tuning in, this portion of the show, we call it a real estate talk triangle. And my two panelists that join me every single month are in studio with me, Tim Sirianos. He is the broker owner of Remax Ultimate, former president of the Toronto Real Estate Board, and as well, he used to be the director at Canadian Real Estate Association. So um, also Dave Butler, uh, you know him as what I call my mortgage specialist, definitely my mortgage guru. Um, and apparently he was a pretty good speaker in grade seven. <laughs> uh, well, I think he got like fourth place ribbon in some kind of uh, speak up. So Dave, we gotta gotta have some fun with it. <laughs> I well, I say I always make fun of people with some of the, some of the bios they have right on their online, and they let like all these insane accomplishments. I was the you know class speaker in grade seven, so I think some of that's a pair. I, I do I usually do a parody of that on my personal uh, personal Instagram account, but that's wonderful. <laughs> so. Um, so guys, just before the break, we, you know, we were obviously talking about loading the spring in, uh, and that I don't mean the season, loading the spring in real estate. Tim, you had a question for Dave. I did. He, uh, he made a, a very uh, great point about a first-time buyer in, in the 30s, and in, in later 30s, I guess, yeah. is what you said. 39. And 39. And um, it's interesting because I want to share the street level, what we're seeing with our 420 agents, you know, right now going on. The biggest obstacle seems to be the stress test yes so can you can i ask you what are you seeing with that because um we feel you know, on the street that if it wasn't for the stress test or adjusted at some to some degree even for first-time buyers only uh it would make a difference look at this particular client um both him and his girlfriend who were they were moving in together they had i believe you know traditionally very large incomes. They were both six-figure incomes. So combined income on that file. And even then it was a struggle to get him to some of the levels of some of the homes he was looking at purchasing. Um, you know, he, the cool thing is about, you know, the experience that I had with him was, you know, we had actually started in the summer uh, working together and I had kept telling him, I said, look, just be, be cautious out there. You know what I mean? Like this isn't, you don't, you don't need to rush. You believe it or not. I know you don't, you don't think this because you're just coming off the heels of what felt like a very pressurable, you know, pressured situation in 2022 because he had almost bought then as well. He was telling me so, you know, but the reality is this is, is he took his time. He found the market. He was working with the right real estate agent, which I think is very key here. Um, it wasn't pressuring him to put in an offer on, you know, just to get that sale. And he really, really, I think he had ended up putting in three offers, you know what I mean? Finally, that third offer got, got done. But, you know, I will say this, not particular in this scenario, but a lot of other scenarios, really what's come back in the mortgage world is co-signing. I mean, it has like, People now, when they come to us, it's funny, they will actually come to us and we'll start talking about getting them pre-approved and they'll actually upfront say, oh, by the way, I have a co-signer. So people are getting smarter the fact that, look, they may not qualify. And, and these aren't hard conversations. You just do the math. Hey, if I can get you a rate of, let's say 6.5 or whatever that rate is, you have to now stress test on that at 8.5. 8.5 stress tested on $700,000 the amount of income you need to qualify with that is insane. And people are, I think a lot of people are getting rejected from their banks. I think a lot of people are getting rejected from their mortgage broker. And maybe they're not being given the options of co-signer, but people are getting smarter. And I think there's you know, firms like ours that are saying, hey, look, 
You got to bring a bit more purchasing power to the table, sadly, but it is only temporary. And there's a lot of cool programs out there that banks have where you can remove co-signers once affordability comes back down and rates come down. And that's something that's very important to people. Yeah. And look, it's stre stress test, you know, I think it played its hand out well in some scenarios. You know, for a long time, you know, we always questioned the logic behind it. And, but I do believe that it has had its benefit. But if we know that if the bank of Canada is at their end, because, you know, the stress test came into play more when obviously interest rates were super, super low and they knew that there was going to be upward pressure to them. But if we're at the max and we know it coming down, I agree with Tim wholeheartedly. Like these are conversations that we have to have. And, you know, it's interesting because, you know, I, I, I did a post and I had, I had somebody, you know, take a run at me. First of all, saying, you don't know what you're talking about. And I always love those people. And it's like, okay, to tell you that. I've only been kicking around for 30 years in the real estate world and the finance world, but that's okay. You're right. I don't know what I'm talking about. But they, they were quick to tell me that the Bank of Canada does not get swayed at all by the government. And I went, eh, hang on. They're not supposed to be. But we all know in this room that there are a lot of underlying conversations and tones throughout the Canadian economy, especially when they printed so much money that if you don't think there is side deals, back end deals, whispers in the corner, I'm sorry, we can't be that naive to think that Tiff Macklin himself and his and his panel are making these decisions is ludicrous. When you take a look at what's happening to the U.S. Fed, you take a look at the Bank of Canada. There is politics behind all of this, and Tim, I'm I'm pretty sure you agree. Oh, you're you're knee deep in that. I, stuff. I'm I'm going to say that uh, there there's several things I want to say really quickly. Right, number one, that um, the idea that that they're not influenced is so offside, because you know uh, one of the great things about organized real estate that I've always been very proud of to witness is what they call pack days, which is political action committees, right? And that is when the local board in Ontario, actually across Canada, right? Um, the regional board, the provincial board and the Canadian association all have committee members, which are realtors on the street who are spending three to four days with every MP of every political party in Ottawa. Yep. So the idea that the government, you know, does not know what's happening on the street and is not the fact that I sat across uh, MPs and they literally said, we want a hotline, right? And we want to talk daily if we can. <laughs> I've witnessed that. So yeah, I mean, backdoor deals, I'm not going to say that they're backdoor deals, but the influence is 100% there, right? Which is a great thing. Yeah, okay, but, say, but, but, but the Bank of Canada, here's, here, like I said, people are sitting there and, and it was interesting because Dave, you saw it where, the, where all the premiers were shoving letters at Tiff Macklin <laughs> saying, hey, Take take a chill pill, buddy. Yeah. Right, and they did, and they got aggressive about it. And what happens? All of a sudden, it's like, oh no, we see reason to put a pause in there. Oh, is it because you came up with that your, yourself, Tiff? Yeah, it's po politics and and monetary fiscal fiscal policy combined together always kind of gets things a little muddy, right? I mean, you know, and I think you can even see. I think one of the most God, it was, it was interesting things yesterday, or sorry, the other day when they put through the the Bank of Canada announcement was that. There seems to be a little bit of now blaming each other. Like one of the main things Tiff said was one of the issues contributing to our higher inflation is this excessive government spending. Like he actually said that he that he, that was a statement in their remarks. Then you've got one of the other people coming in saying, look, 
I'm going to tell you the truth. And this is the person that comes in to speaks right after Tiff says, you know, even though interest rates are high, it's not doing the job. We really do have a supply issue. So all these real estate bearers that were always like, we don't have a supply issue. Rates have caused this. Rates are going to get us out of it. Da, da, da. Well, but wait, you have the government. You have the people that literally make those decisions now stepping up and saying, honestly, like, no, we have a massive supply issue. And then you got TIFF saying government spending too much and causing these issues. This is this is humongous. No, no central banks, I believe, have ever actually said that. So I thought it was really, I was thought these were like insane statements to read yesterday. Yeah. And, and this is, this is the thing that we have to take a look at. So when we take a look at, you know, decisions that are being made, you know, you do look at, of course, inflation, you look at, you know, what kind of gross product are we putting out there? What kind of uh, wages are we looking at? And then when they turn around and Dave, you caught this because it's like, now we forced you know, the minimum wage up. What did that do? Well, there was a trickle effect because if you were with it, a certain percentage of the minimum wage, you were also forced to cre increase it. So let's say somebody was getting $1.50 more than minimum wage at the time, but minimum wage almost caught up. No matter what, you had to give them a, a raise sure. of that amount. So when people start talking about wages and the fact that they're going up, which is potentially increasing inflation, it's like, this is government driven. Great. We, we we need to make sure everybody has a good salary. But out of the gate, I mean, you can't keep applying these kind of pressures to the economy and expect that something's not going to give. Yeah, it's sad. I mean, I think we're all as Canadians. I mean, I don't like Tim, like, do you remember you and your guys are like Todd and your guys' career has has inflation aside from in the 70s and 80s been this major of a discussion like this is like we've reached a whole new level i think and not just in canada it also appears to be in other you know g7 countries where we're experiencing similar things i just you know things seem very very intermingled and you know i i think and i'm not the only one and it it's not like a, a political party i particularly you know am, am for i just i'm for getting back to some balance again it feels like we are literally in one one end of the spectrum and then the other a month later the news comes out you know mainstream media is coming out with all these terrible headlines it just i think i think we just need to get a semblance of balance again yeah and speaking of balance we got to balance this show off with a couple of breaks but when we come back we'll have more with my two panelists so stay with us we'll be right back and welcome back. So this part of the show, we call it the Real Estate Talk Triangle. We do it every single month. My two panelists that have been joining me for years now, always great to have them on board. Yeah, you know what? I do have the number one mortgage specialist. He is on one side. Uh, we've got Dave Butler in-house and Dave's always, always great for the information. And then on the other side, I've got Tim Sirianos. He is the owner of Remax Ultimate. Also, he is a former president of the Toronto Real Estate Board. Guys, you know, it, it's always fun having these conversations and when we start digging in on the government. And I know a lot of people, uh, Tim, think that, you know, I just come out and I start swinging at the government and I'm complaining, but, you know, it's factual. And when, when, when the newest mayor in Toronto whips it out and says, I'm going to build 65,000 homes, you know, over the next seven years. And by the way, we expect the, the, you know, private sector to come in and we want them to build an extra, not, not, not just build, but an extra 220 homes on top of that, you know, 30%, like she wants them to increase their production 30% per year. I don't know where these people get off, but you know what? She's not even close on this one. When I read that, I was uh, quite surprised that that bold statement was made, especially when the targets are already being missed 
in every single way. And and especially after you hear what's been going on at the provincial government when, you know, rightly or wrongly, perceptually or factually, they reverse course on the green belt and they don't stop there. They actually go deeper and they start reversing already approved, you know, project developments that are already in municipalities to go forward. And, you know, the municipalities are saying, whoa, whoa, you're going too far, you know, like, these ones were, these are legit. Well, we don't know which ones are legit. So we're going further back. So that 35,000 or 65,000 or 120,000 or even 2000 <laughs> is, is now, is now exponentially, you know, skewed as a number. Um, I, I really, uh, feel, uh, distressed inside many times when I feel, when I hear these things, because I have to come on show like this and break the real news without this not going to happen. And, you know, I, the last thing I've ever wanted to sound like, and you guys, you yeah. both know this, is a salesperson, right? That never, I, I've never, I've always come here and been real. I'm a father of three daughters. I care about them buying real estate in the future. You know, I talk about investors openly and speculations and everything else. And we want a balanced market. We want everybody to participate, right? But these types of things, you have to start looking at government and going back to finding the root of every problem, Right. When you look at when rent control started back when it did, it was a it was a conservative government that introduced it. Right. You can't say you know it was a left or middle. It was actually a right. Yep. You know, so we, you know there are uh, governments that introduce these things, but that stopped purpose built rentals. That stopped construction in many ways, and it forced life to grow somewhere else. Then we had the phenomenon called condominiums, right? That started in the '90s, and that's where everything started driving. And municipalities started approving. Uh, units that were too small for people to live in, but they were perfect to replace the purpose-built rental. And now we have, you know, when I drive down the DVP and across the Garden Expressway and underneath to get to York Street, to go to Harbor Square, where our, our head office is for the condos division, right? Condos Plus. I'm surrounded by buildings. I don't see the sun, right? So, so I mean, that's the world that we're living in right now. So you have to go back and unravel everything and say, where we go from here? We have to start approving proper places to build and fast. And you got to have a real conversation. Somebody has to challenge Madam Mayor right now and talk about the conversation with the provincial government that's being unraveled, right? And how are we going to fix this? Because that's not going to happen. And there's going to be a lot of frustrated people getting angry and angry as we go forward. Yeah, I mean, one of the things we also have to do is with some of these politicians is like, you know, change the light bulb so it'll actually turn on, um, you know, because quite frankly, they are they're they're missing the point. And, you know, and, and, and let's talk about an example that came out in the news, you know, in this one, I mean, this is staggering. And, you know, I talk about the game of Monopoly and where people need to buy real estate. Right. And, you know, to me. Um, you don't really truly win. If you people think that if you own Boardwalk, you're always going to win the game of Monopoly. But the truth is, you need to own the stuff that actually that you're going to land on. People are going to rent. You know, the cheaper stuff. That's the stuff that actually makes sense. So let's talk about One Young. So they call it One. Okay, uh, huge, huge uh, development, uh, Mizrahi development. Um, just ended up going into receivership at 1.6 billion dollars bought it like it was going to and overpaid the land tim i don't know if you remember the transaction i do 350 million dollars for stuff you go what and it was all because it was deemed boardwalk yep. and then when you start turning around and build and then you go through the delays and by the way folks no matter what we can sit there and 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 talk about construction and congestion 
But imagine you're building 91 stories in dead center Toronto, having to block off streets to be able to haul up steel girders, turn around and put this thing. I mean, the cost of construction itself will escalate no matter what. And when you start looking at stuff at over $2,000 a square foot, and now all of a sudden it's going, you know, they're going into receivership and they say, yeah, we're going to keep building. We're only halfway there. But you're 1.6 billion in debt? So this is not a new story. Like this has been a story for at least five or six years minimum. And we've been waiting in the industry for week by week, month by month of when, you know, surprise is still going up, right? But what really happened there uh, is also the fact that you lost all your anchor tenants. You know, you had a pandemic that you lost the biggest Apple store that was going to be there and other things that were going to be there. Uh, it so happens that our brokerage represented the retail, uh, the parts of the, com uh, the retail component there. Uh, some of our agents did in our office and our commercial division. So we saw this thing really, you know, happening over time. It's not a surprise. Uh, we can't blame the current environment um, for this happening. It just, it finally happened. This should have happened four years ago. Yeah. And th that's the thing, Tim, is that, you know, I, again, it's that interpretation of owning, you know, like I say, boardwalk, right? It's, it's if we talk about, it doesn't matter if it's a condominium for your lifestyle or, or if it's going to be for rental. The truth is, is that there comes a time where you're stretching too far. And this, I believe, right out of the gate. So when he started accumulating this land in like 2010, 2013, because he started buying up all the parcels, you know, at that point, I think it was a no-go. I mean, basically like you're, you're, you're reaching for something and, you know, everybody wants to have that feather in the cap. But if you take a look at every single major development across the world on all these major cities, when they push too far, they normally, you know, come, you know, crumbling down. Yeah. I mean... Look at Canary Wharf and the Reichmans. I mean, you know, there is there is the quintal, you know, quintessential destruction in the '80s of somebody reaching too far. They they basically went, uh, you know, they were selling it as the lifestyle, you know, and uh, people who bought in that development actually wanted that lifestyle. But there were people in there who thought that lifestyle would be something even more special in the years to come. Um, I didn't see that. I, I mean, I've been in the business for 34 years from the day one. I didn't see it being that right. Um, but they did. And, you know, I'm, I'm just curious to see who's going to, you know, it's in receivership. It, it has to finish. Yeah. You know, you can't stop at floor, floor 40 right now. You know, like you gotta <laughs> do, you gotta do something. I mean, back in the early nineties when condominiums were the newest and greatest thing, uh, there were people who bought five, six condominiums in one shot. Yep. And, you know, it didn't get past the garage level. Like there are still buildings in Toronto that are glorified garages because the condo stopped at the garage and never went any further. Right. In this case, you can't stop where it stopped. You, like you got, you got to go. I mean, is the government going to get involved here? Like <laughs> what's going to happen? Like you think about it, people yeah. have to get paid. Yep. Uh, banks will take only so much of a loss. Right. But we have to get this um, address completed somehow. Well, talk, yeah. talk about speculation. I mean, we talk about all the time about investors speculating, buying these new builds. I don't think people realize that, you know, some of these builders, some of them are making insane speculative bets 
on things and doing sometimes things when you wouldn't think they shouldn't, you know, when markets are overheated and, you know, it seem maybe overheated and they're going 22 million. I, I looked at it. There was like one of those units was $22 million you had to buy it for. Like, what, how is that helping? Uh, uh, first of all, how's that helping get more people in Toronto into homes? You know what I mean? And, you know, it, but we saw that that was the boom. That was the, that was the piece, that kind of final five, six years there where things started to get out of hand. And you can see people, you know, businesses that were, that have been doing this for so long started even making speculative bets, which just goes to show we entered kind of a weird phase of investment there. I think that when ego takes over common sense, that's what happens. Yep. So with that thought, and speaking of ego, I'm going to take mine to the next break, but when we come back, we're going to have more. So stay with us. We'll be right back after this. And welcome back. So it's amazing how fast an hour goes when I have my two panelists in studio with me. We've got Dave Butler, number one mortgage broker in Canada. We've got Tim Sirianos. I call him number one no matter what. doesn't matter, but his staff do at Remax uh, Ultimate for sure. And uh, Tim is also a former uh, president of the Toronto Real Estate Board. Guys, just before the break, uh, you know, I, I threw out one young because that's kind of that that piece that uh, made a lot of headlines. A lot of people are sitting there saying, how is this possible? And, you know, I, 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 as somebody that's starting to build and develop properties, you know, one of the most important things I think most people should be aware of is the fact that if you're paying, you know, when you start thinking of, of, of levels of quality, a lot of people want to have you know, granite, stainless, uh, you know, nine foot ceilings. Basically you want to be able to walk in. You want, you, you want your unit to do everything for you. That's all well and good, but let's, let's talk about reality. Okay. Reality is that somebody needs, you know, warmth, shelter, you know, nice sealed unit, you know, you know, obviously pest-free, that kind of thing. But when some of these builders get to that extreme and everybody's hopping on that bandwagon, it becomes very faddish. And at the end of the day, I think most people should just be happy about owning something or living in something that's safe. And, you know, Dave, one of the things that you and I've seen actually, and I'd say almost over the last two years, is that there's a lot of people, and we call them first-time homebuyers, but a lot of first-time homebuyers have realized that market's a little bit out of reach. So what we've done is we've seen a shift in the age. So people around their 20s and 30s, I've seen more people investing in real estate. So in the last little while, I have seen a much younger group of people buying investment real estate saying to me, look at Todd, it makes sense. I can't afford my home yet, but I can afford a little investment property. So I'm going to buy that, get my feet wet and start seeing the growth in real estate, no matter what, because real estate's still real estate if you live in it or if you rent it. Look, there's some people that can see through the volatility parts of the cycles, right? I mean, uh, it's funny you bring that up, man. I, I, there, one kid in particular, he's one of your investors. He's a, he's a simple investor, um, a client of yours. He came young kid, you know, one year out of university, but you know, right away with the idea that he wants to invest. And it was, you know, and we, we were talking when we originally kind of had our call and, you know, he was, he seemed so bright. He was really nailing down the fact that, look, he goes, look, I'm, I'm in a position right now where my job with my job, where I live, it just doesn't make my job. I have to still go into work. I'm not going to be able to go and buy that home that I need to buy for me where I'm at. But you know what? I want to get in the market. I don't want to fall behind. And I really liked it. He really had a very, like, it was a very refreshing attitude from some of the, you know, more, I guess, some of the people that are felt so weird. Because think about it. In 2021, you know, a lot of these people were like, oh, I want to invest, but I can't invest because the price are too high. And it's really forced people to actually truly look at investment as an investment and not as some fad. And, and to your point, 
yeah, it, he, very young kid, one year out of university, got his full-time job, and he goes and he buys one of your properties. He actually just closed about a month ago. And really loved the attitude of this kid. He, now he closed. He already sent me an email. Hey, I want to sit down and talk. Even though I know I can't buy right away, I want to plan for the next couple of years. How much should I save? What should I do? And I really, I was a very, very refreshing conversation from the craziness that we were dealing with back in 2020. If you don't mind me jumping in here, what I love about the story, uh, number one, that he went to Simple Investor. <laughs> uh, no, but seriously, like this is this is an amazing conversation to have between you know, the evil idea of, you know, investing in real estate, right? And it's something that we need to continuously talk about because if you sit down with somebody and you talk about mutual funds yeah. and you're planning, you know, your RSP or you're, you have children, you're planning your RESP, you know, you go to your work, you get a job, you pay your tax at the end of the year and you have some, some money left over. Now you want it to plan for you. So when you retire or when you you know, have children, they, there's something better for them, right? So maybe this young person or other people, you know, they buy a condo or a property of any kind. And the whole idea for them is to say they're going to help their children one day, right? But in the meantime, where are they putting that property? In the rental pool, Yep. right? Yep. So we have to distinguish the difference between spec yep. and investing. And every day we wake up and we want to have a good retirement. We have, a, you know, we want to have a better life. We want to leave something for our children in the future, or maybe for charity, you want to leave it. I mean, there are people who will work an entire lifetime and, and donate all they've done to charity, right? So it doesn't matter. It's just that we have to make that distinction, distinction between good and bad when it comes to investing. Yeah, I agree. 100%. Yeah, no, I agree. And, and honestly, shout out to, I won't say his last name, but shout out to Aiden. I mean, he, I, 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 I think. It's really, you know, for someone like myself, you know, I'm, I'm in my, my, my forties now. It's really refreshing to see that attitude because like I said, I really do feel like things change. And I do also feel like, you know, one of the things that I find most impressive about, you know, and I know cause we're on his show, but this is, it, is it's Todd and the way he runs Simple Investor, it is about affordability and it always has been, it always has been for where you can find the most bang for your buck. And also, I guess it also as well, you know, this he's first year out of university working at a job. He's not gonna have a lot of time to deal with some of these things. He's in downtown Toronto. And guess what? Simple Investors product worked great for him. Guess what? He doesn't have to deal with the tenants. That's all already hand done for him. So, you know, it goes to show people are getting smarter. It, it, but sadly, I think as we can probably all agree, the ratio, you know, seems to be getting lower. And that's, you know, so it's, it's kind of weird because it's surprising when you see it, but yeah. you like it. And and, and just one, you know, last fun fact, of course, and, and the two of us, or sorry, three of us have always been talking about immigration. And, you know, some recent stats that are coming out, we're fast approaching 40% of all Canadian residents now rent. Um, there, that used to be 33. And as the numbers continue to change, it continues to go up. Um, there is some projections that are coming out right now that within the decade will be over 50% of all residents will be renting. And yet here's the problem. There's no way we can build that many. So folks, when you see all this advertisement from the different governments, the federal government, you see the provincial government promising all these things. It's great that these promises are being made, but quite frankly, they just can't sustain or make them happen. And yet they're not pulling back on the immigration. Tim, you and I've talked about it in, in length in the past. There's no way we're going to be able to build or keep up with our current work environment and the amount of people that are going to retire. I don't know what they're going to do. But can we sit there and tell the government, maybe close the borders for a little while? My, my position on, on that is very clear. And I use my own um, cousin 
who's in Europe, who left the hospitality business from Greece, right? Uh, he made cocktails all day, right? I mean, that's for 35 million people a year go to that country, right? Anyways, he left and he went to Amsterdam and uh, he immigrated there because he wanted a, a better job, a better life, a better opportunity. Um, and when he went there, the, the policies they have in that country is that, you know, you're sponsored with a, with a corporate entity. Like you're actually going to be trained as an electrician, some form of trade, you know, you're going to be, I don't want to use the word owned by that company. It's a contract, yeah. right? Yeah. And, and you know, that, that company is going to make a huge investment in that person. Um, and they're going to commit, you know, three, four or five years back, you know, to, to that company. So immigration can work if you have a plan with it. And that's where I'm going with this, right? Um, I'm a child of an immigrant family. Immigration's amazing. I, I'm blessed to be in Canada, uh, but it's also uh, a blessing to have this tough conversation about immigration right now. Yep. Um, because the right immigration is very important, right? Just bringing people in who are not going to fulfill the needs of any country um, because, you know, by 2030, I think 30% of the population will be retired age. That's trades. Yep. So, but, so if you know these stats, listen, CMHC knows these stats, yeah, right? Sure. Uh, Bank of Canada knows these stats. The government knows how are you acting on them? Are you just allowing people to have temporary visas coming in here for education and becoming a permanent resident? Or are you actually having the proper, you know, process and then engaging the private sector? engaging the private sector to have these people trained and employed where we need them the most. Yeah. Excellent. Well, listen, Tim, well put. And I think, I think most people understand that a hundred percent. Tim, Dave, as usual, great having you here in studio with me. Um, can't wait to, you know, it's going to be interesting as we start to wind out the year and how everything starts to develop. And of course, I'm going to be leaning on Tim for all the numbers. Oh yeah. Find out how we finish up. <laughs> I'm prepping, here. I'm prepping. And, and, and speaking of numbers, Hey, you know what, how much does it cost to buy an investment property? Well, guess what? It may cost you nothing. That's right. If you had a chance to win the down payment for a one bedroom unit in London on our newest release, would you do it? Well, I'll tell you what, that chance is coming up. Of course, it's this Saturday, November the 4th at 11 a.m. You can join me for my simple seminar webinar. We are completely stacked for this for the seminar, so you can join us online with the webinar, and you may be one of the lucky winners of a down payment for an investment property. Go to thesimpleinvestor.com to find out more. And uh, that's a that's a wrap for this week. And I just want to thank my producers, Aiden Nomar. They kept it simple for me, as they always do. More importantly, I want to thank you for tuning in, making us the number one real estate talk show. And of course, I'll be back next Sunday as usual. I'm your host, Todd C. Slater. You've been listening to Simply Real Estate right here on News Talk 1010 Toronto.